Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. I'm Patrick. This is Vubang. And we are here to talk about 2020. Vubang, what are your thoughts on 2020 from a basketball point of view? I, I just want to take everything that bad that's happened in 2020 and then just stuff it in a t-shirt gun and just like shoot it into the Oakland Coliseum BART um, walkway um, into the sewage that's below there and just just walk away uh, as if nothing happened. And then just come running into 2021 like James Wiseman, like blocking blocking the shot that he did which is 2020 and coming full steam down the court and dunking it with my opposite hand um, into 2021. That's what I want my life to be like today. That is a very, very nice picture. That is a a great metaphor for uh, how we and the Warriors are hopefully going into 2021. But first, before we do that, let's look at 2020, some of the uh, lasting artifacts of the 2020 basketball vibe what uh, what stands out to you i mean i know what we all want to talk about and that's kelly Oubre and andrew wiggins i think you probably want to talk about smilogic smilogic too uh, am i saying that right smile beach smiley what are your thoughts on uh, Oubre and uh and wiggins here's my my first question let's start with kelly Oubre. my first question is why is he this bad I mean, we have been talking about how some of the slump could be related to the Warriors not playing in the bubble, but wasn't Kelly Oubre playing for the 8-0 Phoenix Suns bubble bubble, bubble championship team last year? Yeah, I think with Oubre, man, it's just, it's it's like a hitter's slump in baseball. He's just not hitting his shots. It would be nice if he were hitting some shots outside of dunks, because then at least you know, like, okay, if he's hitting like mid-range shots or even long twos, then it's just a question of of, of dumb luck. But, uh, you know, he'll turn the corner. I'm confident about that. But it's just strange because everyone was like, oh, you know, at least he hits 35%. That's not replicating clay, but it's close. Do you, do you remember that first year that, that Steve Kerr took over and he made everybody do really basic drills, like layup yeah. line? Are you Passing. noticing yeah. that these two are also missing layups? Mm. Hell yes. I mean... Andrew Wiggins has no touch around the basket. It seems like, uh, he, you know, if he doesn't hit his spots, then he's just going to brick it. And there's been times where he does like a spin move and comes up and just misses completely. So his feel for the game, I mean, this is who he is at, at that point. But uh, yeah, these these dudes have been clanking it. I, I just, I honestly think that maybe the first two games they were just felt too much pressure or something. I don't know, maybe playing against uh, the Nets and the Bucks on the national stage. Uh, no fans probably made it a little bit weird for them, but uh, who knows, maybe they just uh, choked it a little bit. I really hope it's just the nerves. Um, the way that I've been approaching them coming anywhere near the rim and hopefully dunking it and sort of the reaction um, or the impact that's going to happen Reminds me of playing NBA Jam. Do you know how, you know, the most efficient shot in NBA Jam was just like that little tiny dunk that you can do behind the back, mm-hmm. um, which is the fastest way to get the ball on the hoop and nobody can block right. it. Meanwhile, all the newbies would be trying to get Sha- uh, Shaquille to do a f- 720 dunk from the free throw line, which can get blocked uh, two out of five <laughs> times. I feel like these right. two are constantly trying to do the the really ridiculous dunk instead of the the very easy if you ever played against nba jam against somebody that's really good all they do is that stupid little 
two point dunk. That's just half a second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I vaguely remember that stuff, but I think that when Wiggins and Ubre go up there, I, I just don't know. Like I keep bringing up Wiggins spin move. Uh, maybe it's worked for him well in the past, but, um, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan. It doesn't really end up with points on the board. Who was it that did that dunk where they stuffed their whole arm in and had their elbow hanging around, hanging on the rim? Like that's the kind of dunk that I want them to do all the time because it's most likely going to get the ball into the hoop. <laughs> Vince Carter, I think made that famous. I'm pretty sure he wasn't the first one, but I've seen other people do it after him. And um, yeah, I, I think if they could do that, they, they, well, I think Ubre could probably do that, but um, I, I did appreciate in the Pistons game when Wiggins threw it down with two hands. I was like, okay, because I'm always talking about his seemingly lack of athleticism compared to what his high school and even early uh, Timberwolves days looked like. And he's only 25, so I don't know. It's not like he's ever played deep into the playoffs, so he's not burnt out. But um you know, he showed a little something. He's definitely a two-footed jumper, and uh, he he went at the rim quite a few times. So I could uh, I could appreciate that. Maybe he heard me. <laughs> I do appreciate them attacking the rim because if you remember Clay's first two three years when he was just afraid of going within five feet of the rim, and it was just so frustrating when he even had a yeah. clear path from the rim, and he'd just go for like um, a quick shot. That was frustrating to me. But this is the opposite of that actually exact opposite yeah i remember actually remember when clay went for 37 against the kings in the third quarter uh one of those was the alley-oop from steph and uh one of his two-point shots and i remember watching that and i was like oh my god (laughs) he threw down like an alley-oop because i did not think he could do much around the rim uh he wasn't much of a dunker at that point but uh ironically like Going up for a dunk is what allowed Danny Green to get up under him and uh, and knock him out of the 2019 finals. Well, enough about Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. I think we should talk about yeah. your favorite your favorite vacation island right now. Smiley Dick. I can never pronounce his name. Yesterday I was watching The Jump and I saw Kendrick Perkins pronounce Rio Hashimura's uh, name perfectly. Um, and I realized that I think... You know, when when usually it's a white person uh, who can't pronounce my name, but when a, when a white person can't pronounce an ethnic person's name, an ethnic name, it's just because they're not trying. Because there's a lot of very foreign sounding names that Americans pronounce really well, and that's because it's their favorite basketball player, i.e., uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, which every God fearing blood red blooded American can pronounce now. But if Giannis Antetokounmpo was the janitor in your local company, you would never, nobody in that company would ever be able to pronounce his name. But because he's the greatest basketball player of the last two years, everybody pronounces every single syllable perfectly. Yeah, I think that's uh, 100% true. I think, um, yeah, we live in a in a America now where I think it's safe to be like, I'm sorry, like, uh, can, how, how do you pronounce your name? You know what I mean? You need to like ask people <laughs> and have it be okay. Uh, and, exactly. and not enough yeah. people ask, do ask that. Anybody in Tennessee how to pronounce uh, Sharif Abdul Rahim and they'll just say it perfectly. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little easier than uh, Giannis's last name, which I'll be honest, it's hard for me to say, but I try. 
I think the the the, the trick is just to skip some syllables and just say antetekumpo. I, I think that's skipping two syllables. That seems to be the way people have been saying antetekumpo. Antetekumpo. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I think people are calling him less the Greek freak after they realized that uh, Greece was not giving him citizenship or his family until he became a famous basketball player. I and did not the, know that. Yeah, all the racism that he had. There was this great, um, there was this great podcast about um, where they talked about uh, this one guy who owned a restaurant near where he lived, and he was just saying how every time um, a practically uh, poor Giannis would come um, and needed food to eat. This guy would feed him, but in reality, uh, this guy was actually shooing him away from his restaurant. But because he was famous, when he got famous, he was telling this other uh, alternate universe story. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not a really great. It's not a great country to be uh, an undocumented uh, family in, unless your son is uh, uh, MVP caliber uh, base uh, basketball player. Well, now he has the open arms of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Population 340. Yeah. Just that number up. You just should never leave Milwaukee's like perimeter. <laughs> um, Back to Smiley, <laughs> your favorite. Yeah. Okay. What, um, what, tell me tell me what kind of real estate do you own on Smiley I, Island? I, I own a, a decent, fun little piece of real estate on uh, Smiley Island. I I think that, listen, he had a... If we want to talk about 2020, that dude, he was brought up on a team that had that went 15 and 50 something. And just for the for the hell of it, I know he's a project. Uh, I know that he is kind of a pet project of uh, of the Lakobs. But, you know, he was good. He was showing skills in the G League. And then he got brought up. He had some of the most memorable, like ridiculously bad plays uh, that I've seen in the past few years. I mean, that one flying fast break dunk where he came up super short of the rim. <laughs> that that might be one of my favorite plays uh, of all of 2020. And that kind of typified it. But, you know, listen, like if, if Clay wasn't hurt and he didn't take up a roster spot and they wouldn't have needed an extra shooter, He's not the worst guy that they've had at the end of the bench. It's just that they need all hands on deck because the team is not as talented as it has been in the past. And, you know, like, it's like they need shooting, right? So I get that he catches a lot of flack. Um, I don't really hear as much uh, directly from from fans or or see it. But, you know, I think he does have a skill. Whether or not he can show it in the NBA right now is questionable. But it's it's not like he's um, 22, 23, and he's been given a chance to do all these things, and he just failed. He's He had a, a minor run, and uh, I like his... Uh, uh, I like the idea that he could be like a shooting big guy. I mean, he's slow. I'm not exactly sure where he would fit in the rotation if he ended up improving on these skills. But uh, all the hate that he gets, I'm I'm like, dang man, he he didn't do nothing except try hard, right? <laughs> like, you know, it, it was up to him to improve over the summer if he could have. But I know he he went uh, uh, back to Serbia. Who knows what he was able to do. So um, it would have been nice if he showed improvement in whatever layoff, like eight month layoff. My concern is, and this has happened a few times before, is players that start off at that developmental level, how often do they actually mature and become good 
in the professional club that raises them. Right. I mean, if you think about players that have done really well coming up from Santa Cruz, the Santa Cruz warriors and sort of where, how they ended up becoming a pro um, I'm just going to name three random ones just because they're just come right off the tip of my head um, between Jeremy Lin, Chris Busher, Bouchard, whatever you ever pronounce his name, uh, Kendrick Nunn, these players that the war- have gone through Santa Cruz but get picked up um, in other professional um, pro-, pro teams and just get significantly or somewhat better. Um, you know, I think I think Lake the junior Lake Up is trying to make a mark um, and try to you know work on a project and get get him up to speed. But what are the odds of him actually becoming the player that we want him to be for uh, the the San Francisco Warriors? <laughs> as opposed to the Santa Cruz Warriors. You see, like I didn't know that he was seen as such a a, a, a lake of pet project before. I was informed about that. Uh, I, d- I don't read the local papers, so I don't get all the PR saying where it feels like they're just blowing smoke about this guy. I, I don't think he, it's like he learned basketball late. I don't think he's like an O'Donnell foil or something like that where he just doesn't have a feel for the game. I think he has a decent feel at that age and he just needs to learn how to how to play in the nba and find out what his skill set is and where he can fit in and again like he's better than james michael mcadoo you know like if you put smiley at the end of those dynasty teams no one's tripping right but it's just i think people uh seem to be uh, hating on him because they want the roster spot because of the nepotism and because uh uh, they they haven't seen much of him yet. You know he wouldn't have been on the squad last year if uh, if people didn't get hurt and they didn't trade a bunch of bodies to uh, to make space for the Wiggins trade. I th- I think the concern or the criticism has been because of the contract, right? It's like a two year guaranteed contract, or it's a little bit higher than what the fifteenth person should be getting, and that's sort of clogged up that position. I mean, the last two bench pieces should be a veteran who is the player coach who makes sure people stay in line. Um, and you know, the, the Kendrick Perkins <laughs> position, I know that I, this is the first time I've talked about Kendrick Perkins twice in the same conversation, but that kind of player, right. The Vince Carter, um, end of the bench, uh, vet, or, you know, a project that goes back and forth between, um, between Santa Cruz, but that's what the two-way contract is for. That's not necessarily what the 14th or 15th project. I mean, Michael Mulder is the perfect example of what um, that 15th spot is. And I mean, is he on the, he's not on the two way, right? He's actually on the 15th. Yeah, two ways. So two ways of JTA and uh, Nico Mannion, where I own a huge piece of land on Mannion Island. That's a different conversation. You're listening to the Oakland Warriors podcast. Do you know Oakland Warriors is a website too? OaklandWarriors.com offers a collection of Warriors t-shirts that are comfy, classy, and cool. Fit for a real Warriors fan like you. Forget basic tees and boring designs. With Oakland Warriors, you can show your team pride with those in the know. I have a shirt from OaklandWarriors.com. It's comfy and soft, and it reps the dubs in a low-key but fun way. Don't believe me? Check out OaklandWarriors.com and use the code PODCAST at checkout for a 10% discount. Well, now that you brought up uh, Juan Toscano Anderson, it might be good to bring him up because, I mean, he is he did start <laughs> recently and he's on a two-way, which means he gets 50 days total. 
uh, to play for the pro club. And so, I mean, what is that going to mean if he's, if he's, if he has this many minutes, um, he's going to have to shave off some of the games later on when um, it, it sounds like he's going to get shipped off to Orlando, the, the G league bubble when that happens. And if that's the case, I'm not sure how else he can, he can stay um, in a two way contract. Yeah. I mean, I think the bubble is fine for him. I think he'll be good there. I, I've loved what he's done uh, starting and, and plugging in and hopefully Draymond stays healthy. Then that kind of, fills that role in the rotation and everybody stays in their spots. I've liked uh, Juan Toscano Anderson. Wasn't a huge fan last year, uh, but uh, I said this in a recent episode. Like, I just think he doesn't have real NBA speed for a guy who's 6'6". Six, six. Uh, he has the hustle, and um, I, I love what he does out there. And he's that guy who will just do everything. But I think that's just the one one little thing that's missing in his game. I think he'll stick as an NBA player. But if he just was a little bit quicker, then you know he would he wouldn't probably have to go to the G League and and uh, that's just my opinion, just observation, you know. Um, that's pretty perceptive that you notice that though, because I I get deceived by his energy, thinking that he's fast because he's energetic when he's in the game. Like it's hard to miss him because he's all over the court. But I could see what you mean in terms of the NBA speed. Yeah, because that's what it is, right? Because he puts in the effort, but like he's just a hair too late for certain things or say there's a loose ball. He's just a second slower than somebody else getting to it, right? The effort is what's brought him this far. And I think it'll, you know, keep him in the NBA for for a bit. Because I used to think he was just, oh, like a a local boy, like makes good type thing, uh, type project. But uh, I I really appreciate everything that he, he, he does on and off court so i need an honest opinion from somebody who's been living in la and uh, because all of the texts that i get uh, about juan toscano anderson are usually jt jta colon this guy's the best basketball player ever or holy shit um, and usually those are coming from 510 uh, area code numbers <laughs> and so i need to know if if, if what you think is he for uh, real yeah i mean like i just i just said like i think that he will stick as an nba player uh he definitely but he's just gonna keep this up the last the last four games this is this is what he is or is the trajectory going up oh no i think this is what he is if he does anything special say if he starts hitting like uh, a bunch of mid-range shots then teams will scout for him and he'll have to adjust or they'll just shut him down but the hustle plays is what i think will be his bread and butter. You know, he's not going to be like, okay, we need a shot. Let's get it to want Scott Anderson. Uh, as long as he's reliable, that's great. But in, t- in terms of being for real, like, I think, I think this is the best version of him with just more consistency. How old do you think he is? Do you know how old he is? I just looked he's it up. 26. He's 27 now. Oh, okay. Um, so this is what he does. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I don't think there were ever any, uh, fantasies of him turning into Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Kendrick Nunn. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Marquise Chris. I don't know if this has been getting enough airtime because I mean, he essentially was our starting center for all intents and purposes. And mm-hmm. now he's out. And they're saying that it might just be a three month thing. If that's even possible, like potentially coming back at the earliest in March. Um, I don't know how realistic that is, but do you think we're going to replace him? Right now, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like they're going to roll with Pascal at center. And I'm okay with seeing that. But 
I don't know if it really depends on how well they play moving forward, right? Like if it's one of those things where we're playing well and we're definitely going to make the playoffs, then it's like, okay, let's, let's maybe tighten up the ship a little bit. But I don't know in terms of spending money, if it's something that they'd want to do or losing assets that they currently have. I'm, I'm super bummed about Marquise Chris. I really like that guy. And I think that he was definitely starting to fit in and he would have been a great backup, you know? And, uh, but I am glad that uh, Kevon Looney gets a chance to kind of play himself back into a game mode. So we'll see how that goes. Marquise Chris was the best rebounder on the team. Um, numbers wise, as I recall. So for a team where for the last game where I was just literally yelling at the TV to get more rebounds, to lose that type of um, rebounding help is going to be difficult, but um, you're right. I mean, I don't think they're going to, I think it's going to be a hard proposition, even if there is a disabled player exemption, which I'm not sure if you can get two of Um, sadly, if you get, if you lose two players for the season, um, if you get to replace them, but, if we're talking about signing a free agent center that's currently sitting at home uh, watching TV, can I name five that um, that were listed as potential pickups? And you tell me, sure. you tell me what you think. The first is Ty- Tyson Chandler. I don't know when they would ever need him. To be honest, I it's just he's just really one of those guys. Like, oh, we need a big body, right? Uh, again, like if, if they had space under the salary cap, then sure. But I think that's always going to be a consideration. So, uh, he doesn't get me too excited, but, um, you know, I'll take a pass. How about Dwayne Dedman? Dwayne Dedman is somebody that Warriors fans have been pining over for like, it seems like a century. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Oh, Dwayne Dedman, man. And I'll take him. You know, he seems to be, he's still in his twenties, right? Like, um, he seems to be somebody who's like energetic and do what uh, a little bit what uh, Marquise Chris can do. So that is the name that I've probably just heard the most in the ether, just from fans and reporters just tossing names out. John Henson. No, not so much. I would rather, honestly, give the time to Looney and Pascal, see what they can do. I always mix them up with Larry Sanders and I, I always have to look up which one actually was, is the marijuana advocate. So I know which one's Larry Sanders and which one's John Henson. Just going to keep mixing up Buck centers. I get a mix up with Jim Henson. Ah, yeah. That's another, I also, I also get Larry Sanders mixed up with Larry Sanders, the show. So yeah, I get Gary Shanley mixed up with John Henson. <laughs> uh, Joakim Noah. Gosh, I think he's actually older. Is he older than Tyson Chandler? I feel like, or maybe they're the same draft class. I feel like him and Chandler, they're both dudes that like, if we are in the playoffs and we're like, it's kind of like a Bogut pickup, right? Like, okay, let's uh, get our roster. We need a couple bigger bodies or a bigger body. So let's get one of these six, ten, seven footers just to put out there when we need to. So in terms of the regular season, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I would pass on him. The last one is probably a troll for um, a good troll for Warrior fans, and that's Maurice Spates. Oh, 100 percent, I would take him. <laughs> really? Player coach no. get the bench. <laughs> I mean, uh, sure, it'd be great to have him like on the bench, but I don't think he could help us much out on the on the court, and it might just 
be one of those like it's like when the Warriors signed Chris Webber at the end of his career in a very corny fashion and it was like oh let's uh let's make good and make peace and him and Don Nelson type thing but uh it would just feel like okay we brought back the past and the past is not as you know it's, it's not not as pretty yeah out of all those I think Deadman makes the most the most sense what about you yeah, I mean, I, I, like you said, Deadman's name always comes up um, every time Warrior fans um, talk about this position. So it, to- it totally makes sense. Um, and I think like anytime there's been a big man that's, that plays for the Spurs, even for a little bit, I feel like their name gets attached to the Warriors just because of the Popovich connection. But I'm looking up his stats right now. Deadman actually played for the Warriors in 2013. I did. I don't remember that. Yeah, well... Uh bring him back i guess warriors fans loved him so much they were like we need that guy back he's 31 years old i think he's always looked 31 years old and that's probably why you thought he was in his late 20s (laughs) i mean he's been around for 100 years well that is another episode of the oakland warriors podcast don't forget to subscribe wherever you list a podcast and be sure to check us out at oaklandwarriors.com Music in this episode provided by Paper Sun. Special thanks to Paul Amardo for production support. See you next time, and go Dubs. Dubs.